Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. I am Whitney Sewell, host of the Real Estate Syndication Show. I am thankful that you all have joined us today. I'm excited about our guest. Our guest today is Nathan Tabor. Nathan has built a life helping others and improving lives. Through his own life and experiences, Nathan has acquired an incredible ability to solve problems, develop game plans, and create real and lasting results in both his personal and professional life. He has successfully founded and operated more than two dozen businesses since 1999, grossing over $150 million in sales. His experience spans the areas of commercial real estate acquisition and redevelopment, automobile sales, direct product sales, web-based marketing, and strategic partnership facilitation. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Nathan. Hey, Whitney, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited about doing your uh, podcast. I appreciate you having me on. Yes, yes. I, I've heard you on other shows and you just provided some great value. So I thought you'd be just great for our listeners to hear today. And, and would you tell us a little bit about how you got started in real estate? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm, I'll be just a little time here. I was, I'll be 45 this month. Uh, so in 2006, I was running a, a buy here, pay here car lot. And before that, I'd had a soybean business. And before, during that time, I had a website and a business and email. So I've been kind of a serial entrepreneur. I had never done real estate outside of buying two, two personal homes, buying one, selling it through the traditional way and buying the one I'm in. And as I'm sitting in my car lot and a gentleman walks in and says, hey, I've got an 18 unit complex that I have to sell. Uh, do you know anybody be interested? Would you be? And I didn't know this, this person. Um, I guess he was, he was in a bind looking to sell. So I was like, I, you know, let me look at your numbers. I looked at the numbers real quick and didn't know anything per se about, you know, cap rates or real estate. But I was like, hey, if there's 18 units and they're renting for $500 a month, um, then ended up calling five bankers that I had done business with for 10 plus years and they all said no. Um, but one of them finally said, hey, go see this local community bank. Went and saw that banker. He said, yes, we'll do the deal with you. Um, didn't know really what I was doing. Uh, ended up buying a 12 unit right behind it. So 30 units total. Um, now, I did have a little bit of a renovation background, my dad being uh, in a little bit of construction and painting. But so I bought, renovated, and sold those 30 units in eight and a half months for a little bit over a $223,000 profit. Wow. And you had just started. I mean, this was your first property and you were able to turn it around like that. First property, first deal, um, you know, hindsight 2020, a lot of... Um, uh, uh, luck, but a lot of God watching over me, yes. <laughs> you know, in, in running that, not knowing what I was doing, I did get, um, I, I missed a lot of uh, things that could have bitten me in the end, but to start out for the first deal, it was, um, it was a really good thing. It also, it gave me, you know, uh, monies to do other deals because the bank did a hundred percent financing, hundred percent renovation, which they don't do anymore these days that I know of. Uh, so it was a really good platform to start a real estate investing in real estate business company from. So 
So you had gone to, did you say 10 bankers and they turned you down? Went to five bankers five and bankers. they turned me down. Hi, you know, went, went back and talked to them later. And, you know, anytime who's, you know, if you're a first time real estate investor or you're trying to grow your portfolio and a bank tells you no, what they didn't tell me at the time was they weren't telling me no personally. They were no to that industry. They were no to, you know, deferred maintenance, high occupancy. Um, it was a no to the deal, but mm-hmm. they would have said no to anyone, but they didn't tell me that. So first I was like, well, what's wrong with me? But mm-hmm. it ended up in the end, it didn't have anything to do. And so I tell people, look, just because you go to a bank with a great deal and they say, no, don't stop, you know, go find another bank, go find a private investor. Cause it's most likely not you. It's most likely that bank doesn't do that type of deal. They just won't tell you that. Tell me, how did, how did you get the, the bank that did finance it, what was different about how you presented it to them? Because they, they financed the whole deal and the construction. How, how did you present it different to them? You know, it was, um, and I don't think this really exists this, these days, but it was a relationship. Um, the person who referred me said, hey, go see Jack Smith. Jack was in his late 60s. I called him up, set a meeting, and he said, hey, I want you to bring two things. I want you to bring your wife, and I want you to bring one year's tax returns. I was like, that's odd. I've never, and all the banking I had done by that time, I did not, you know, ever, you know, run into that. We get there. I talked to him for a minute or two, answer a few questions. And he starts asking my wife, Hey, what type of guy are you married to? What's his integrity? Like what's his ethics like? And uh, Whitney, all of a sudden he just turns around. He just rotates his chair, puts his back to us. And I'm looking to my wife. I was like, do we, do we go? Do we leave? Because <laughs> he, he just he just stopped talking and turned around. And five minutes later, he turned around and hands us a sheet of paper, commitment letter, 100% financing, uh, 100% um, renovations when closed within 30 days. So I did, I, you know, right time, right place. But, you know, the thing that I did have, I had a full packet. I didn't go in there with just, oh, I want to do this. I had all my renovations numbers down. I had, you know, what the property, you know, would be worth upon stabilization. I had a marketing plan to sell it. So even though I really didn't know what I was doing, I knew the the laws of business and I knew how to, you know, present that. And, you know, a lot of people, they'll go in and ask someone to invest with them or partner with them, but they have nothing in writing. Mm. So, you know, what I did is I went in and I tried to answer every question that that banker could have had. You know, what if this happens or what are you going to do here? And you'll find, you know, I'm sure you know in your own business, as you grow your business, the more details you can put in a proposal to a bank or a private investor, the more likely they are to do the deal. Of course, of course. And why don't we... Uh, I like how you referenced about your previous experiences, obviously in business really helped you to to know uh, or to come up with some things that you should do to make this deal happen, even though you didn't have experience in real estate. And, you know, could you elaborate on a few of those things or, um, you know, a few of those skills that you had that just really helped you uh, get into, into this industry? Yeah. You know, the kind of just some simple things, you know, a business plan, it can be one page. Um, it doesn't have to be 80 pages, just, you know, what's your mission statement? What's your vision? Uh, where are you going to, you know, I call it the niche. 
especially in real estate these days, you know, what type of, or any, any business you're going into. If you just go to someone and say, hey, will you invest $50,000 with me? They're probably going to say no, and rightfully so. But if you go to them and say, hey, I want to do real estate on this side of town. I want to do this type of property. You know, here's the comps on 10 other deals. And you've done your homework and you have it in writing. You increase your chances of that person getting involved with you. So, you know, develop a business plan, develop a marketing plan. How are you going to sell the product? You know, if you're going to do a, a single family home and you can get an investor to come on board with you, that's great. But how are you going to dispose of the property? What, are you going to sell it yourself? Are you going to sell it on Craigslist? Are you going to hire a broker? If you hire a broker, you got to figure in, you know, four to 6%. So if you start answering those questions that are kind of the one, two, threes of the bottom floor of the of business, you will find that people will buy into what you're doing 10 times faster than if you just go ask them for money. Mm. So, you know, really be organized in that, right? You know, and I'm sure you do it in your, in your business, Whitney, you lay out what you're going to do. Um, and then the, the most important in any of this that I tell anyone and I tell myself is don't fake an answer. Um, the number one thing that I, in, in I see that people, when they come to me, Hey, will you help me out on something? Will you do this? Will you invest? And I ask them a question. You can immediately know when somebody doesn't know an answer to a question. And if they start trying to give you the answer, you, they think you won't, or they start just, you know, flowing from the mouth. What does it do? It creates an, an integrity problem, right? That's right. Because if they will, you know, fib or lie about this little thing, what are they going to do when it comes to a big thing? That's right. So if you're sitting with a banker or an investor and they say, hey, what's the cap rate in this area? If you don't know what the cap rate is or you don't know what a cap rate is, say, I, I'm not sure, I don't know. Let me, you know, investigate that or ask someone else or, and you know, just be honest. I agree. I agree. And I think most people, and, and that banker is going to know you're new to the industry or you're just getting in, in the door anyway. Right. And so, you know, you're going to build more rapport by that honesty. Even if he turns you down on this deal, he's going to have more trust in you the next time when you come, uh, you know, and you're going to even be more prepared because of those questions he asked you the first time. Exactly. And hey, I've been doing this for 11 plus years. I still don't know everything and I will never know everything. And that's okay, but I need to say, hey, I don't know. Let me find out. Right, right. Uh, well, let's get into that deal just a little bit. So, you, so you uh, you got the deal closed, and and then what? I mean, because you only had eight months. I mean, eight months is such a short time for your first deal to have uh, have it turned around like that. What happened after you closed? Yeah, so you know that deal and in in deals after that is you know writing things out, having a plan. If you close, you know, when I closed this deal uh, during that 30 day period up to closing, I had already lined up my, you know, HVAC, my electrical, my plumbers, sheetrockers, painters, floors, material folks. So, you know, we were going to go in and do units A, B, C, and D first. And then we were going to go and do the next four and do the next four. So there was this plan. Uh, instead of just showing up and uh, I grew up in the South in Alabama in the you know phrase running around like a bunch of chickens with our heads cut off. We actually had a, 
a plan in place. And when you're doing, you know, renovation, whether it be single family or multifamily or, or whatever you're involved, again, that written plan becomes critical because it keeps you on track. It lets your contractors know what you're doing. It lets the investor or the banker know what you're doing. And it really builds an infrastructure. And when you don't have that, then you'll find, you know, you start losing money because the longer it takes, I mean, you're paying your mortgage, you're paying your taxes, you're paying your insurance. And if those units aren't creating income, then you're losing money. I would imagine that this deal, I mean, to turn it over completely in eight months, it probably, would you, was it cash flowing? Uh, it was, um, it was about 15 or 16 tenants in there that, that were paying. Um, so we had to evict the others cause they had been there, but weren't paying or weren't paying the amount they were supposed to. So there was enough cash flow. Now I've done deals where I've bought completely vacant units, hundred percent vacant. Wow. And, you know, in a situation like that, you have to go in again, get written plan numbers. How long is it going to take from time of purchase to covering expenses with cash flow? And whatever that amount is, then you've got to put it back into an escrow account or a um, operating account to cover the mortgage, your expenses during that time period. Now, was your plan to sell that property as soon as possible, the first one, before you purchased it? From the get-go of getting into apartments was to flip. So whether it was flipping to someone else or flipping to myself for a time period, so about half and half, I've, I've immediately flipped properties, you know, they buy them on a Tuesday, have them listed on LoopNet or with a broker Tuesday afternoon that said, if they're 50% occupied, here's the price, 60, 70, 80, 100% once the renovations are done, or I've taken it and flipped it into a non-recourse note. So took it out of one LLC, put it into another LLC, um, withdrew, you know, monies out that were put into the project and put it with a, a management company, cash flowed it for a time period and then sold it. So those properties that are, that you're selling like that, or you have them listed, if they're occupied by this percentage, this is the price and so forth. Are you, are you, are you syndicating those deals? Or do you have investors on those deals? What does that look like? Uh, so I'm not done syndication as of yet, but after talking with with Joe Fairless and then, you know, looking at your information, that's something I'm, you know, greatly looking into, especially when the economy is the way it is right now, where people have lots of um, disposable income that they're looking to park somewhere. Right. Okay. And so, you know, if I were starting today, what I started 11 years ago, syndication would be at the top because of the amount of money that you can raise. And you'll see this go in, in ups and downs. Right. Uh, you know, when the economy starts to stumble and starts to go down, people will pull their money closer to them. And then when money goes up, you know, economy goes up, money starts to free flow. And I tell anybody today that's looking at real estate, I mean, you know, what, like what you're doing, if you have a plan in place and you have a, a, a good uh, business plan and marketing plan, you can take that and raise a ton of money right now in real estate. Well, you know, it sounds like you were much more prepared for that first deal than most people into their first deal. I know you were much more prepared for your first deal than I was. And 
and I, I learned a lot and in your previous experiences really helped you there. And, and, but can you give us some, some things that you do different now or some main things, ways that you've improved your business from then to now? Well, so the second deal, you know, I walked into the second deal with my, as I call them, my uh, greed goggles and my pride britches on because my second <laughs> deal, I ended up losing $150,000 in 18 months um, because I was like, well, Hey, I know how to do this. And, hindsight mm. uh one of my friends who used to develop food lions was like hey what was the cap rate on your first deal and i was like cap rate and i'm thinking in my head whitney like is that the top where the roof comes together <laughs> and there's the little vents there and she looked at me she said please tell me you didn't do a, a real estate deal and not not you know not know what a cap rate was i was like unfortunately yes so i was prepared from the business side of things i wasn't mm. prepared in the real estate side. So the second deal I ended up buying, the zoning wasn't right. So I had to convert a 24 unit complex down to a 12. Wow. I had to put in new parking lot uh, it, it, structure. It was just a nightmare. Now the attorney told me, the surveyor told me that it was grandfathered in, but I didn't go to the zoning department myself and ask. So mm. It, the property had been cut in half several years earlier. Another apartment complex had, or building had been put into another owner's name. And when they cut the property, they created a setback issue. So I went from my first deal of just, you know, rocking it, killing it, making all this money to my second deal, wondering why I had ever gotten into real estate. Mm. And that's where I really started focusing in on due diligence. Like how do you, before you buy the property, because once you buy it in all 50 states, um, you know, the contracts, the four corners, it's your property. Unless there was some type of fraud or intent to, fraud, to, to, to defraud, you're stuck with that property. And so getting to know, you know, the zoning issues, the, uh, now, and I'm doing class C high deferred maintenance you know, issues like that, but, you know, cash flow or, or rental income or buying a single family or a duplex or up, you know, how do you know if what you're buying is actually creating that cash flow that they say? Well, I bought a complex and the rent roll said they were collecting $28,000. It was my fourth deal. Closed on it and found out they were collecting $7,800. Wow. Well, a rent roll is nothing more than taking the information from the lease and putting it into an Excel sheet. It doesn't mean they're actually paying that. It means that's what they should be paying. So if I can't get the bank statements to a property that I'm going to buy, I assume the worst. I plan for the worst because if you can't prove, you know, everybody says, well, what about tax returns? You know what the IRS does not care about, Whitney? They don't care about if people fluff their tax return. They care if you short them. Right, right. So there's all kinds, you know, when you get into real estate and doing your due diligence, you don't make money when you sell the property, you make money when you're buying the property. Right. And what I mean by that is if you don't run your numbers right, if you don't run your renovation budget right, if you don't catch that there's an $80,000 problem in the sewer line underneath the foundation of two buildings and you close, that comes out of your pocket. Wow. I'm going to, we're going to have to move to a different segment, but uh, yes, I, I'd love to have you back on and us really get into some of those details of due diligence. And sounds like, it's like you've become an expert in that area and, and which we all need to be 
in this business. Um, but tell me, uh, what would you say is the uh, the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Yeah, for me, and you know, I don't mean to offend anybody by this at all, but my relationship with God, mm. um, my desire to, um, and I'm not I'm not perfect at this by any means. Whitney, I've I've failed. I, I've I've had you know failures that have been my own, but to try to help others. Uh, try to, you know, this is, you know, in the, the real estate side, it's their home. So giving them the best product possible, uh, using the monies from the proceeds to do things with the Salvation Army of, of printed 250,000 little Bible storybooks, but in Christmas products, um, you know, there's a set of morals and values that everyone has. Mine happens to come from being an evangelical Christian. And when I have applied that to my life, I've been more successful, not only monetarily, but more internal, um, the sustainable joy and peace. And when I've done things my way and like, okay, God, you know, you move over here, let's put a fence and let me keep my life. It was good for a season, but looking back, it ends up going someplace I didn't want it to go because I made it happen or I, you know, I did something that was legal or ethical by the world standards, but not by God's standards. So, you know, I tell anybody, uh, ultimately it comes down to this because I deal with a lot of people who have faith and they're, the mindset is, well, if I can make more money, I can spend more time with my family and my faith. And unfortunately, if your desire is money, as you make more money, you spend less time with your family and less time with your faith. So if your desire is to spend more time with your family, just go ahead and start spending more time with your family. And then when the time comes, the money will come. Mm. I could not agree with you more. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing that, Nathan. And um, would you tell us, uh, tell the listener how to uh, get in contact with you or learn more about your business sure. and also share share a little bit about uh, your podcast and, and what it's about. Yeah. So uh, you can learn more about me at Nathan Tabor and that's T-A-B as in boy O-R.com. I have some uh, real estate and one of the little tabs there. I've got a, a free book that someone can uh, request there. I also have an online course. Um, then I have a podcast called Handling Life. Uh, it's about uh, basically five areas, our personal, professional, financial, physical, and spiritual. You know, how do you handle all the aspects of life? Mm. Um, because we're, you know, especially men today, but women as uh, too, you know, don't share your emotions and feelings with anyone. Don't show, you know, people that you're weak because they'll take advantage of you. But it's sometimes if you're in a spot in your life that if you don't go talk to someone, you don't have to go sit on someone's couch and lay down, but if you just don't go seek wisdom and counsel of others, I've been there and I can tell you, it doesn't get better. It gets worse because in your mind, you're like, no one will understand. No one will know what I'm going through. You know what I found? There's not anybody out there who doesn't have their struggles, who doesn't have issues in their life. If they say they don't, guess what? They're lying. They're lying. Yep. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Nathan, for being on the show. And uh, I, I really appreciate you being here. And I hope everyone uh, will listen and leave comments and join him on the Facebook group and and uh, communicate with him there. And uh, thanks again, Nathan. Hey, and before we go, let me say something. I read your story about what you do with the uh, adoption and, and mm-hmm. orphanages. And if people don't know your story, I hope they'll go and read that and see that what type of person you are and what you're doing. 
because that's quite admirable of you and your wife to take your proceeds, the profits of your company and put back in to help others adopt and, and help orphanages. Mm. Whitney, that's a, that's really, it's really cool of you all to do that. So right. I, I appreciate you doing that and I hope God will continue to bless you in your efforts. He has blessed us in a tremendous way and we just hope to help others. Uh, and thank you so much, Nathan, for saying that. And thanks again for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.